Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. That's michael at C-O-C-O-R-I-S dot com. Now, let's hear from Mike. Should we praise the Lord, you would, of course, would say yes. But if I were to ask you, do you do that on a regular basis? Or have you done that regularly lately? You might have to confess that while you agree that we ought to, we very often don't. Frankly, we all tend to get sloppy in our spiritual lives. So I want to speak very briefly about just praising our God. Some messages are designed to help you personally. Some are designed to help you in your relationships with other people. And some, I say, should be designed to just enhance our relationship with the Lord. But how often do we hear, how often do I preach, a message that is simply and solely designed to just benefit the Lord? Oh, it may help us in that we uh, gain spiritually from exalting Him. But my purpose in this message is not necessarily to do anything for us individually or necessarily anything for us and our relationship to one another. But let's just give the Lord something. What would we give him? Well, we would give him our praise. It's that little thought I'd like to underscore in your thinking and even prod and provoke you to do in your life. We've been going through the book of Romans, verse by verse, and chapter by chapter, and we've come to the very end. Will you look with me then at Romans chapter 16? And I'm going to begin reading with verse 21. Romans chapter 16, verse 21. Romans 16 is a long list of names. In the first portion of this chapter, uh, Paul greets uh, various individuals at the church at Rome. Then in verses 17 to 20, he pauses and tells them to mark those who are divisive. And then in verse 21, he says, Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsman, greet you. I, uh, Ternatia, uh, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greet you. And Quartus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now to him who is able to establish you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now has been made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures have been made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. 
This passage of Scripture concludes the book of Romans and is obviously divided into two parts. In verses 16, uh, excuse me, verses 21 through 24, he simply uh, says that a group of people who are with him greet the church at Rome. And then in verses 25 through 27, he ends with a doxology. What I want to do is briefly run through that list of names in verses 21 through 24, and then I want us to look very specifically at the doxology that concludes the book of Romans. In this list of names in verses 21 through 24, he is simply saying that these various individuals greet you. For example, he says, Timothy, my fellow worker. Now, Timothy, you know, who was a companion and co-worker of the Apostle Paul, later received two epistles written by him. At the time Paul wrote the book of Romans, Timothy was with him in Corinth, and Timothy sent greetings to the saints at Rome. The next three names are all called my kinsmen which means that they were all fellow Jews with the Apostle Paul. Lucas is not the man named Luke, because here this man is a Jew and Luke was a Gentile. Jason, who is mentioned in verse 21, is a fellow Jew with the Apostle Paul, and he is probably the man who was the host of the Apostle Paul when he ministered in Thessalonica. He calls another man by name, Sosipater, and he calls him a kinsman. This is probably the same man that is mentioned in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. At any rate, those four people in verse 21, he says, greet you. Then he says, verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Now that's strange. I thought Paul wrote Romans. But Romans 16.22 says Tertius did. Now who wrote Romans? Paul or Tertius? And the answer is, you've got to understand what's going on. The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul, but he used a secretary. The technical word is an amanuensis, and that, in this case, was Tertius. So, at this point, Paul has been dictating, and Tertius inserts, by the way, I'm the guy who actually did all the handwriting. I put the pen to the parchment, and I want to say hi as well. Then he says in verse 23, Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church, greet you. Gaius in Romans is not the Gaius of 3 John, but is the man who put up the Apostle Paul in the city of Corinth. And for that matter, he not only housed the Apostle Paul, he housed the whole church. As you know, in the first century, churches did not have buildings. They, had, they met in homes, and in this case, they met in the home of Gaius. Then he says in verse 23, Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. Now, <clears throat> this is a very interesting um, little reference because uh, Erastus was a very common name. 
It appears in Acts 19.22, and some have tried to identify this Erastus with that one, which is probably not the case. But more interesting is this. That name has been uncovered by archaeologists on a stone found in Corinth. And some have suggested <clears throat> that this is no less than the man whose name was found on that stone. If that's the case, that would be incredible. Unfortunately, it's probably not the case. <clears throat> the reason I say that is that this individual is designated as the treasurer of the city, verse 23. The one whose name is found on the stone is called the commissioner of public works. Now, those were two different officers in ancient Corinth. And while it is possible that the same individual held both offices, it is not likely. And so this is probably not the same individual whose name was found on the stone by archaeologists. It was a very common name, like John or Jimmy in our day. Finally, he says in verse 23, Quartus, a brother. This individual is just known as a simple saint of Jesus Christ. At any rate, all these individuals sent greetings to the saints at Rome. Verse 24 says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, let me pause here for just a second and make a suggestion. Is it possible that they're all greeting the saints at Rome and that verse 24 is the grace, is the greeting they sent them? Namely, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I'm not sure I can prove that. Perhaps verse 24 is simply coming from the Apostle Paul. But at the same time, I think that that would be the sentiments of all of those individuals who sent greetings to the saints at Rome. Be all that as it may, let me simply point out that the address of verse 24 is given to Christians. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So he is saying to saints, those already saved, May the grace of God be with you. Perhaps all of those with him are in a chorus saying, We send you greeting, and the greeting is grace. But does it strike you as strange that the grace is sent to those who are already Christians? Aren't we saved by grace, and that's it? Why extend grace to those who are already believers. Well, here's why I want us to pause for a minute. This book of Romans teaches that the whole thing is by grace. In Romans chapter 3, verse 24, we are told, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, as we all know, we are saved by grace. In chapter 6, Paul says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So in Romans 3.24, we are saved by grace. In Romans 6.15, we are told, we are now under grace. In chapter 12 of the book of Romans, the apostle Paul says, 
having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. We are saved by grace and we receive a spiritual grace or gift all by grace. And then we serve by grace. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 3, and there are several references to this kind of thing in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought. But notice how he says it. I'm going to say this to you now by the grace given to me. So my point is simply this. We sometimes think of the fact that we are saved by grace, but forget the fact that everything in Christianity is by grace. We are saved by grace. We're given a spiritual gift by grace. We serve by grace. We live and die by grace. All of Christianity is by grace. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul said he had a thorn in the flesh and he asked God to remove it and God said no. And then he said, but my grace is sufficient for you. So there is a case of God's grace extending to us even in the midst of suffering. So it is all by grace. I think I could argue that the whole Christian life is by grace. In the book of uh, Galatians, the Apostle Paul argues that if uh, you are trying to be justified by the law, if you're trying to please God by keeping the law, you have fallen from grace. So it is not strange that Paul would say, grace be to you, you who already know the grace of God. My prayer is that you would never forget that it is all by grace. So I want to just pause long enough to suggest that uh, there's any book in the Bible that teaches us about grace, it's the book of Romans. And Romans is saying, it's all by grace, don't forget that. John Knox was the great Scottish reformer. When he was um, passing away in his last hours, he fell off into a slumber and then woke up and he said to those around him that he had a dream, that he was tempted to believe that he merited heaven because of his faithful service to Jesus Christ. And then he said, I remembered certain passages of Scripture, like, What hast thou that thou didst not receive? By the grace of God I am what I am. Not I, but the grace of God which is with me. John Knox said, I was delivered from thinking that I merited anything before God. It was all by God's grace. So Paul is saying to us, grace to you. And I say, don't forget, it's all of God's grace. All of it. Salvation, service, suffering, all, the spiritual life, all is by grace. Now, having said all of that, the Apostle Paul concludes the book of Romans with a doxology. Verse 25, now to him who is able to establish you. Look at verse 27. 
to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Now this doxology is divided into two parts. In verse 25 he says, Now to him who is able to establish. That's God's power. Verse 27 says, To God alone wise. That's his wisdom. But the point is praise, which is in verse 27 stated by the words, Be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Now let's look at this doxology. We are to praise God for his power and for his wisdom. It's his power that Paul talks about in detail. He says in verse 25, To him who is able to establish you. That word is used twice in the book of Romans. It's used in Romans chapter 1, verse 11, where the apostle Paul said, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. Paul opens the book of Romans by saying, I want to come to you, I want to minister to you, so that you can be established. The word means to be fixed, to be firm, to be stable. I don't want you unstable. I don't want you kicked about by every new wind that comes blowing along. I want you to be firmly fixed in your spiritual life. And that's one of the reasons I want to come to Rome. Now he gets to the end of the book and he says, God is able to do just that. God has the power to establish you. So the last line in verse 27 is, Praising, be glory to him through Jesus Christ forever, because he is the one that has the power to establish you spiritually so that you can be firm and fixed and not wishy-washy and flopping around with every drift that comes along. Now, he goes on from there to explain the means God uses to establish us. He says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, the means by which God establishes us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only verse 24 says, and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And there are two ways to understand that phrase. He is either saying, God uses the gospel to establish us, and the gospel has to do with the preaching of Jesus Christ. In other words, the second phrase explains the first one. Or, he is saying, God establishes us, by the means of two things, the preaching of the gospel and secondly, the preaching of Jesus Christ. In this particular case, I suspect that the first interpretation that I mentioned is the correct one. God is going to establish us. He's going to make us firm and fixed. And he's going to do it through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've ever studied the Apostle Paul carefully, and if you've studied his other writings, you know that he sometimes writes in a real interesting fashion. He mentions something, 
He gets to the end of it. He picks up with what he says at the end. He develops that, gets to the end of that, picks up what he says at the end of that, and goes on in a stair-step fashion. And uh, that's what he does in this passage. He says, uh, the preaching of Jesus Christ, and then he says, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. Now, that little phrase is a problem in studying the book of Romans. Some come to this phrase and say that it is the gospel that was a mystery kept secret since the world began. But there is no way that can be because in the opening verses of the book of Romans, Paul said the exact opposite. He said in verse 1 of the first chapter, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So the little phrase cannot refer to the gospel. Then what does it refer to? What is the mystery which was kept secret since the world began? Well, it has to do with the preaching of Jesus Christ because the little phrase, according to the revelation of the mystery, modifies Jesus Christ. But what was the mystery in Christ that was kept secret since the world began and is now made manifest through the preaching of Jesus Christ? Well, by the way, the Apostle Paul uses the little word mystery throughout his epistles. Another one of those subjects, I think, rarely gets any attention. But if you're careful as you study the New Testament, you, know, you notice that it crops up all the time. Paul is forever talking about this mystery. What is the mystery? And by the way, the word mystery simply means sacred, secret. It's a secret God hid, and then, as this verse states, he later revealed. What is the secret he kept hidden and then revealed? Well... One of the secrets, and I think one that encompasses them all, has to do with the church. He explains this in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, that this mystery was revealed to him and the other apostles, and that he, in turn, revealed it to others. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in few words, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. And here it is, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6 that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promises in Christ through the gospel, of which I have become a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me to the effective working of his power. Now, it's going to get a little detail, but hang with me for a second. What Paul is saying in Ephesians is that there was a mystery it wasn't revealed before. It was only revealed to the apostles and prophets. And it's just this. That the Jews and the Gentiles should be members of the same body. 
And in the book of Ephesians, that body is called the church. The Apostle Paul is saying that that was not revealed in the Old Testament. The church only began on the day of Pentecost. That was hidden from the Old Testament prophets. Now indeed, the Old Testament prophets talked about the fact that Gentiles would be saved. That's clearly revealed in the Old Testament. What they did not know, nor did they say, is that Jews and Gentiles would be in the same body in the church. So Paul says that's the mystery that was left to be revealed to the apostles and prophets in the New Testament age. And that, I think, is what he is referring to in Romans chapter 16. It is the preaching of Jesus Christ that brings Jew and Gentile into one body that has been the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. But in verse 26, he says, has now been made manifest. Notice in Romans 16, it was kept secret since the world began, but now has been made manifest. And he goes on to explain that. By the prophetic scriptures, which have been known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for the obedience to the faith. So this is one of those cases where Paul starts talking and he trails off and he trails off. And he is saying, um, the means of us being established as the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And uh, then he says, the preaching of Jesus Christ uh, has an aspect to it which was hidden in ages past, has now been known to all nations. And he doesn't explain it here, but I think elsewhere he explains that's that Jew and Gentile should comprise one body. He says, now it's been made known unto all nations because God commanded that this be preached in all the world. And so he develops one thought right after another until he gets down in verse 26 to the phrase, for obedience to the faith. God has commanded all to believe in Jesus Christ. So, as this gospel and as the scriptures were preached in all the world to all nations, then people were able to obey the command to trust in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, in typical fashion, has piled one phrase right on top of another. But his basic thought goes back to verse 26. Now, to him who is able to establish you. God did it. Through the gospel, which is the preaching of Jesus Christ, which includes a mystery. But the basic thought is God is able to establish you. God has the power through the gospel to establish you spiritually. Then he says, secondly, we are to give glory to God alone wise. Now, why did he bring that up? All of a sudden, he says, God is powerful and God is wise. A moment ago, I labored the point that Paul says in this passage, God is powerful. I did it because it's here in the text, but also it's related to the overall point of this passage. I think that God is powerful and God alone is wise are related this is not the only doxology in the book of Romans. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 11, there is a doxology. And 
he in essence praises God for his wisdom. Please look at that passage. It's incredible. In Romans chapter 11, he says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Notice, he mentions the mystery. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that the hardening uh, in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. I want you to drop down later in the passage. Then he says, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him, and through him, and to him, are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Now, it struck me as I was studying this passage in Romans 16, there are parallels between the end of Romans 11 and the end of Romans 16. Notice in Romans 16, 27, he says, Be glory through Jesus Christ forever. And at the end of Romans 11, he says, To whom be glory forever. Amen. Both are concerned with praising God. Both are concerned with praising God for His wisdom. He says in verse 33, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And both mention the mystery. Romans chapter 16, as I have mentioned, does it in verse 25. And Romans chapter 11 does it in verse 25. So that what Paul is saying to the Romans is this. And this, frankly, is a rather profound theological thought. But he is saying in the book of Romans, God, by the gospel of the grace of his Son, has brought both Jew and Gentile into one body. He has the power to establish us. And in his wisdom, he exercised that power. Then he concludes, He is the alone wise God. Be glory to him through Jesus Christ forever. Now simply put, the doxology at Romans 16 is saying we're to give praise and honor and glory to Jesus Christ for his power to establish us and his wisdom in doing so. But the depths of that have to do with the depths of the wisdom and the mercy of God in bringing Jew and Gentile together in one body in the church. The point is simply this. We are to praise God for his power and wisdom to establish us spiritually through the gospel. Let me put it all another way. The passage we've looked at today has two parts, verses 20 through, through 24, are greetings that end in grace. There's a sense in which I could say verses 22 to 24 are simply grace to you. Verses 25 through 27 are a doxology to God. 
and it could simply be entitled glory to God those two simple captions sum up what I'm trying to say grace to you and glory to God we who have received grace should give glory to God we who have been the recipients of grace through the gospel should give praise to God for his wisdom in saving us in his wisdom in showing us mercy in his power to save us from sin in his power to establish us through the gospel so very appropriately the book of Romans ends with a doxology God is able to save by his grace and we ought therefore to praise him for it some have suggested that there is a sense in which many of the ideas in the book of Romans are summed up in this doxology at the end of the book clearly this book has to deal and do with the gospel he says back in chapter 1 I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek this book has to do with faith verse 17 says for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith and this book has to do with us being saved it's those ideas that are bound up in this doxology this book also as I have pointed out repeatedly deals with Jew and Gentile that God deals with all alike repeatedly in this book he says there is no difference between Jew and Gentile in chapter 11 he explains that God's dealings with both Jew and Gentile are part of God's wisdom and so he concludes we who have been the recipients of grace to whom grace is still being extended are the ones who should praise God we should praise him for his wisdom and his power for what he's doing in the church for what he's doing to bring Jew and Gentile to one body in Christ I began by saying some messages are directed to help you personally some are designed to help you in your relationships to one another and this one was going to be designed to just benefit the Lord I titled this message praise our powerful God if you just saw the message what would you think you'd think maybe we should praise God for uh, his power in creating the universe that would be appropriate maybe we should praise God for saving us that is certainly appropriate maybe we should praise God for his power in answering prayer and that's appropriate all of that is legitimate but what I am suggesting is something else and it is through the scripture through some of the deep portions of the scripture some of the portions we don't think are quite as uh, interesting and tantalizing as others that we begin to crawl into the head of God so to speak and we begin to understand exactly what it is God is doing that's what the book of Romans is about that's what this doxology is about 
You ever praise God for his wisdom? Did you ever just sit and contemplate, I'm not going to do this because of anything I get out of it. Just as one of your creatures that you have redeemed, I want to just praise you for who you are and what you've done. You're the alone wise God. And I mean by that what you have chosen to do in creating Israel, giving them a history and a future program, I might add, as he teaches in Romans chapter 11. And you've now chosen Gentiles. Oh, God, you are wise in the way you have done that. And he really explores that in depth in chapter 11, where he says, blindness in part has come to Israel that he can so that he can save the Gentiles. And what is going to be the conversion of the Jew again like? Oh, the wisdom of God. Did you ever just praise him for his wisdom? And his power, his power to establish us, his power to bring us to himself by grace through his son, just thanking for his power and his wisdom. I say, that's what we ought to do. That's the doxology of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 16. Praise God for his wisdom and his power. I think that's what he would like for us to do. You know, we are so selfish. We are so self-centered. Before we can relate to anything, we have to identify with something that relates to us. We are so superficial. We have to see something dramatic before we get all excited. We have to see the miraculous. Well, (laughs) this is none of that. There's nothing particularly dramatic about any of this. It's not something we see before our eyes and causes awe or wonder. Something you have to figure out by a little study, a little contemplation. So let me put it down on a level we can all get at. If nothing else, What I'm saying is this. This is an oversimplification of what I'm saying, but it boils down to this. Thank God he saved me by his wisdom and by his power. And we ought to praise him. We ought to thank him constantly for by his wisdom and by his grace and by his power saving me. I became a Christian when I was a teenager. I was 18 years old. The man who led me to Jesus Christ once told me something I've never forgotten. He pulled me aside one day while I was still a teenager and he said this, Mike, don't let a day go by without thanking God for just saving you. What attracted me to that statement was this. He said, if you do, you'll never get very far away from the Lord. And then he told me this story. He said the apostles were once given the power to heal people. They went out and they discovered that disease and demons were subject to them. They came back rejoicing in their power 
or at least the power of God through them. Jesus looked at the apostles and said, Don't rejoice in all of that. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And on that basis, he said, Mike, always thank God that he saved you and you'll never get very far away from him. I don't know that from that day to this, I've done that every day, but I do know that that statement given to me better than 30 years ago has made a profound impression upon me, and that constantly I come back and say, Lord, (laughs) even when I'm fickle, you are faithful, but thank you most of all that you just saved me. Every once in a while, I soar into the heavenlies and just talking with the Lord. And when I get caught up in what He's really doing, I thank Him. What He's doing in His wisdom and power is saving people, putting them together in something called the church. People from all kinds of various backgrounds educationally, socially, economically. And I look around and say, isn't it marvelous that he's put us all in the same body? He saved us all by his grace, and he's put us all together in the same body called the church. Lord, you are so gracious. You are so merciful. That's your wisdom and your power. Glory be to God. Donald Gray Barnhouse, who once took 20 years to preach through the book of Romans on the radio, got down to this passage of Scripture and said, and I quote, This is the wisdom of God. He has made it possible for men who were made lower than the angels to rise higher than the angels. He has made it possible for creatures to become sons. He has made it possible for those who were once bound by the earth and all of its forces of gravity in every field to be loosed from earth and to know the throne of God as eternal home. Is it any wonder that we cry? To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. To God be all the glory. To God be all the glory forever. To God be glory through the Lord Jesus Christ. End of quote. To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. He has saved me. And he saved you. And he made us members together of the same body. I say, praise God. God, from whom all blessings flow. Let's pray. Father, if we were to be the ones to design the scheme of the universe, we would probably not do it the way you've done it. But as we get these glimpses of what you've done, it calls forth our praise to you as a wise God that knew more than we, 
and the powerful God that has more ability than we. Father, we can only bow in adoration and say thank you, praise you. To you be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen.